Good evening. Good evening. Uh, tonight we're, we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday, just like we did in the morning service. Uh, what, we, what we did in the morning service was look at one aspect and we're going to have a bit, a bit more time tonight to have a bit of a look at uh, some of the more of the context of what's going on there. Because often we, we look at Palm Sunday and we see the, the, um, the palm being waved around or we, we have memories of that at church but uh, apart from that, that Jesus is being welcomed as king, um, we, we're not sure exactly what else is going on there so we're going to unpack this passage a little bit and see what God might want to say to us tonight about that and what he was talking about uh, in regards to his kingdom and, and the impact that this has uh, right through redemptive history. Um, just want to welcome you here if you're here uh, for the first time uh, tonight uh, visiting and, and we've got some, some return. Um, Tom, it's really good to see you back from the dinosaurs. Um, so make sure you say hello to, to Tom tonight. Uh, Rodney, Rodney, yeah. Yeah, great to see you here too, Rodney. And um, there's a few other faces as well that I, I recognise. Um, well... We're in uh, Matthew chapter 21 tonight and if you have a look there, uh, it, it starts with Jesus coming into Jerusalem and this is the passage we know as, as being Palm Sunday the, and what we, what we see here is that this is really the start, I might sit down actually, um, this is the, the start of uh, of this one week which is highly featured in the Gospels. Each, each of the, uh, from, from the time of Palm Sunday and Jesus goes back and forwards in and out of Jerusalem and he's staying in, in Bethany. We've got a little map there, Mary Ellen, that I tucked in there. Did you find that? It's near notices, I think. Oh, wonderful. Is there any way to get out the back or? No, I'll just turn around. Um, so during this week, uh, about a third of, our, of the Gospels uh, includes this, just this one week of what's happening. So there's so much going on there. And uh, so Jesus is staying out near Bethany there. It's about, um, what do I read, two miles, so what's that, three Ks, something like that, uh, out of Jerusalem. And uh, you can see a couple of things that we know well there. We see Mount of Olives and then we see the Garden of Gethsemane. Wow, Gethsemane there. And so Jesus is, is coming in, in and out of Jerusalem throughout this whole week. So let's, let's read. Uh, we'll go to, to verse 20 first of all. Uh, we, we, re, Jesus really gives a pretty good idea of why he's actually here on earth. He's here to show us um, it, what, what God is like. If you see me, you will see the Father. But he's also come to save, um, save humanity. He says, this is in verse 17 of chapter 20. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. 
They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and on the third day he would rise to life. Now, now this happened so that, that we could have life and turning over in verse 21, we have the very beginning of what's happening here. In verse 21 it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, now that's um, on the Mount of Olives, so you can see the Mount of Olives there, it's featured in the Gospels quite often and uh, have to pass through Bethphage to get into Jerusalem from the, to the, in through the east gate there. Saying to them, go to the village ahead of, ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied up there with her colt by her. Unite them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Uh, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we see here that as the people watch, this is, this is not surprising to them. Okay, well it is surprising to them in a, in a, in a sense. They've, they've read the, and heard these scriptures since they were little and, and what they see is they, they, they know exactly what Jesus is doing. He is saying that he is the Messiah, he is, he is the promised king come to save and that's, that's why they go on to say, Hosanna, save us because they know exactly what he's saying there. While we're, while we're in a little prophecy here, I want to go uh, to another one as well. You see, from the Mount of Olives, you kind of dec- descend um, down to Jerusalem there and you actually have a, a wonderful view of the temple uh, you, can, you can see it really, really clearly and it was this huge, majestic um, complex and building that uh, really skyscrapered above everything else around. And he comes in the east gate. Now this is interesting because Ezekiel actually talks about this east gate and it, it, it has real, a real significance in scripture. We're going to have a look at some of the, some of the passages there in Ezekiel. Um, now there's, there's actually, uh, the, the, the gates have changed a bit in Jerusalem now. They've, um, or some, have, some have moved, some have been added. Uh, but at the time, uh, there was, I think there was nine gates and uh, this was one of them. And it's actually, this east gate is actually closed now. In fact, the original one is actually underground now because the city's been built up, but the new East Gate has actually been um, locked off and closed and uh, it's, it's, it's no longer open. It's the only gate that is actually closed. And that's, that's rather interesting as we go to the book of Ezekiel here. Um, in Ezekiel 10, verses 18 and 19, it, Ezekiel talks about um, that he sees the glory of the Lord leave through the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. So the, the, the glory of the Lord, because of the sin of the people, it leaves through that east gate. Um, and then in Ezekiel 11, it tells us that it actually moves um, towards the mountain in the east and we know which one that is. That's the Mount of Olives. And in, uh, in Ezekiel 44, verse 1 and 2, we we read that the gate will be closed. Um, and then finally, 
in Ezekiel 46. It talks about a person coming back, a prince coming back through that east door, that the glory of the Lord will return through that eastern gate. So there's something else going on there. Um, we've got this, this prophecy of, of Jesus riding in on a donkey and then we've got this, this strange stuff from Ezekiel where the glory of the Lord has left through the east gate and then it's going to come back in through the east gate as well. And here Jesus is, he's looking down on this temple and he's coming down in. Let's continue. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks um, for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna! Um, Hosanna, it means basically save us. Um, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is, uh, this is right during Pentecost and what we have here is these are, these are some words that have been kind of pulled out of Psalm uh, 118. This is uh, the last psalm that would be read around uh, the Pentecost festival. Hosanna, the son of David, bless, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us he, um, in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was was stirred and they asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Okay, so we have um, quite, a lot, quite a lot going on here actually. Uh, they're, they're pretty much um, expecting that the Roman Empire is probably going to be overturned in Jerusalem because that is what they're expecting in, in when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, that that would, that that would happen. And it was, uh, it was all being set up there. What we had is, we had, it was Passover, so if you remember, that's the let my people go and Moses. And then we had Jesus, he just healed Lazarus and uh, people have been talking about him feeding the 5,000 and uh, casting out demons and healing lepers and... Uh, uh, all sorts of different times where he, where he comes and, and has a battle with the Pharisees and uh, isn't too worried about these, these soldiers and, uh, and Rome and he teaches with great wisdom. So there's, there's lots of excitement, especially in this, in this area, in this road um, leading into the east here. They know what Jesus has done. Here he is, he's riding on a donkey, fulfilling these prophecies. He's coming in through the east gate and what they're thinking is, you beauty, um, the Messiah has finally come and uh, the Messiah is here to save us. That's what they're calling out. They're saying, save us. And, and what, they're, what they're thinking is that they're not thinking of save our, save our souls or save us spiritually. What they're, what they're basically thinking is uh, we are God's people and we are under the hand, under the thumb of Rome, save us from the Romans. Now, I um, said this morning that as I, as I read through this, I think I would be one of them. I would be clutching uh, my sword and saying, let's go, Jesus, and uh, let's go, the God of um, Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses and Abraham, and uh, let's take these Romans, um, send some plagues or, uh, or, or send the, the angel of death upon them. 
the Messiah is here. And what we see is that Jesus actually had much, much deeper plans. Um, the way of his coming, the way of him claiming victory was, was very, very different. It was to be a sacrificial servant, to, to give his life um, for, for many, to, to come in a humble way. And uh, it, it's just so different to the way that they were expecting. And yet what he achieved was far more than they, they could ever even imagine. Uh, that, that, is, that is one Roman Empire, one enemy of God in a sense at one point of time. And, and Jesus comes and he comes to defeat uh, death and evil once for all. It was like the, uh, the final blow uh, that would ensure that um, life and his kingdom would come eventually. So that's what we've got going on there. They, they had expected a king. This is a, a trajectory that started in here, is they had expected that there would be a king and a king has come. Um, just not a king that acts in the way they would expect and not a king that is initiating a kingdom that they would expect. We even see, see different uh, through the, through as, the, as the story moves on, as you see him put up on the cross there, he's got the crown of thorns uh, imagery again that this is a king but this is a very, very different king that doesn't operate by the rules of, um, of the kingdoms of this world. I want to go to Revelations. We're going to go back and forwards to Revelations a few times. Revelations 19.16. Now, Revelations uses um, some language that is, is really metaphor- metaphorical and, and a little bit hard to understand sometimes. But uh, the, the main essences and the main points are there. And this is from um, John's vision. He says, Then I saw uh, the beast and the king of the earth. That's not it. Somewhere, there it is, um, on his robe and on his thigh, he had the names written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, so we, we know that uh, ultimately Jesus will come back and he will, he will write everything, he will, um, he will restore everything and he is coming back as king. And one of the things that, that kings do is kings have a kingdom and in that kingdom um, the king's ways, um, they happen. And uh, there's, in this, this mess of the world at the moment, um, there's, there's something in our hearts just cries out, King Jesus, would you come back? Uh, I don't know if you've followed, obviously you, you know what's going on in Ukraine and Russia at the moment. Uh, I've done some digging just recently to try and work out what's kind of behind that and it just feels a bit like the Middle East, like you just go back and back and back and back and there's just problem after problem after problem. You just think, how, how in the world is anything like this going to be sorted out and worked out and whose land is this and whose isn't it and, and um, which, which people and which people aren't and who's the good and who's the bad and uh, there's just something in my heart that just cries, King Jesus, would you come back? because he is the rightful king over all the earth. So that's the first one. This, uh, this Palm Sunday, it sets the trajectory for the king of this earth to come back. Next one. He's coming 
to destroy and rebuild temples. Um, Jesus is a temple destroyer and he's a temple builder. And he talks about that a a number of times. Uh, We've got this theme, we've talked about this a number of times, this theme of temples that runs right throughout Scripture. We've got the original temple being the Garden of Eden where God's presence is, is most uh, is clearly manifests there and uh, it, it moves through and then you've got the tabernacle and God's presence is manifested in the tabernacle and then you move through again and you've got Solomon building um, the, the temple, the first temple and God's presence is manifest there and then you've got the second temple and then Jesus comes and he talks about himself being a temple. And uh, you, you remember how he talks about um, this, this temple will be, um, will be raised to the floor and then it will be raised again in three days and it, it says that Jesus is talking about his body. Um, and then ultimately what that does is his death and resurrection means that the temple moves um, from, from a building to, 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 to Jesus, God in the flesh, to his church. Uh, with, with Christ being the cornerstone. So, so we've, we've actually got this rebuilding and, and uh, it, it actually talks, Jesus, when he goes in there, he actually talks straight away about this temple that's going to be destroyed. He talks about the Jerusalem temple going to be destroyed and it actually was destroyed in, in 40 years or so. But I want to read this to you. The, the temple is, is so critical here. It's the place where God is manifested. It's the place where um, the people of the day could go and meet with God, where they could make sacrifices to God, be right with him again. And it says this, Jesus entered into the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling um, doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. And we can, just, we can just read over that. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. I was thinking about that, what prayer means. Prayer is this extraordinary um, gift to us of being able to come into the presence of God and be able to ask for his grace and his mercy. To be able to, to, to come into his presence. The way that used to, be, used to happen was it was in the temple that that used to uh, mainly take place. And now we are the living temples of the Holy Spirit. And it can happen um, in, in our own lives as well. I was just thinking about that. If, if, if we are the temples, then, then, then our lives and the church is meant to be a house of prayer. There's other, other letters that actually pick that up, isn't there? When it, it's, um, that, that the church is meant to be a house of prayer. It's meant to be where God's people um, come before him to ask for his grace and his mercy. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about my life and that I... I and we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I, I was just wondering whether there might be some tables in my life that God would come and overturn. I wonder if there might be some tables in your life that if Jesus was to have a look at, whether he would throw them over. And that could be a number of different things.
um, things that are defiling us. You know, I, I, I kind of have a, a picture here of Jesus coming into this temp- temple and he is, there's, there's grief. There's grief because he, he knows about the potential of what can take place in that temple. He knows about the potential of what happens when, when we're in God's presence. That there's, there's something incredibly special about that and, and it's, it, yes, it's anger but it's also, he longs for his people to turn to him. He longs for, for this temple not to be defiled and I think he looks uh, to us like that as well. He, he looks and he longs for, for our lives not to be defiled, for our lives not to have things in it that, that stop us from, from coming freely into God's presence. Wonder whether there might be things in our lives that the Holy Spirit might be putting his finger on right now and he's saying, I want to overturn that table. Would you let me overturn that table because I want you to be able to come freely into my presence? Last part. This is something we looked at this morning and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a quite strange um, little, little happening in a, in a sense. In, in Luke we actually read that Jesus was, when he was on that um, Mount of Olives, he was looking down at the temple, he actually started to weep. So as the, as the people were, were, were crying out in, in, in laughter and joy and celebration, uh, save us, the king is here. Uh, Jesus wept. And, and the reason that he wept is, is because the people just didn't quite get it. Um, he knew that in time he would be crucified by them. Um, the nation didn't, didn't turn and uh, they would continue to go their own way and he knows what that means, that they eventually would be taken over by the Romans and uh, they would... Uh, that was that was devastating. I think nearly 600,000 people uh, lost their lives at that time, uh, 40 years later. So uh, Jesus was was weeping. I I love that. I, I love that those those two parts. Another place where Jesus wept was um, not long before this occasion. He was in Bethany up there, and he rose Lazarus from the dead. But just before he, he rose him from the dead, it says that he wept as well. He wept about, the, um, uh, about just the devastation of sin and the devastation of a people um, that, have been, uh, that have been damaged and broken by, by sin. And I, I look at that and I look at a God that, that, that both knows the brokenness of sin knows the brokenness of humanity and enters right into it. Doesn't, doesn't shield himself from it, but, but, but fully enters into the very humanness of life. And uh, we, know, we know that that humanness can be very, very um, difficult. Uh, life is generally uh, full of, of, of laughter. It's, it's full of joy, and, but it's also full of heartache, and it's full of sadness and it's full of pain. Those two things seem to be just part of what life is. And it's interesting that God still says it's, it's worth it. Every time we, every time we, 
we, we have a, a child or bring a child into the world, there's something in us that says, although we know that this world is really, really messed up, something's worth it about life. And I, I look there and I, I think pretty much everything we do, there's this, there's this mix of tears of joy and tears of suffering. Um, so I, I talked this morning about if you, if you have a really good friend, you've got tears of joy and also tears of suffering because the people that are closest to us can hurt us um, the most. When we, when we enter into, into marriage or, or have a child and have a family, there's, there's both tears of joy. It's a joyous thing, but it is also something that brings great grief in us at times as well. You really, you really can't, um, you can't have a marriage, you can't have a child without there being both of those things in this world. Then I was thinking about a church. Um, if you really commit yourself to a church, like you commit yourself to a, uh, a, a child or a spouse or, uh, and call a church home, then there is going to be both of those things as well there is going to be both joy and there's also going to be tears of grief as well because it's full of people and, uh, and people hurt, hurt us. But what I, what I love about this is this is Jesus, he's coming down and there's this, there's this kind of this clash of two things. Jesus is weeping as he's coming down. The people are celebrating because they think something great is going to happen. Um, in a week's time, he's going to die which is, which is just about the, 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 the most deepest suffering and, and, and tears of sorrow. And then on the third day, the, the most spectacular thing that's ever happened in history is going to happen that's cause for celebration and that's going to happen. So we've got tears of grief and tears of joy all mixed together. But it's heading towards something and it's heading towards what we see in Romans 19. It talks about that um, the Lord's God's dwelling place will be among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is, this is the new temple. The new temple is going to be the whole earth. God's presence is going to fill the whole earth and we are going to be with him and we're going to see him face to face. And it says here, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That old order of things, the only reason it can pass away is because of what has been achieved on Easter. So that's what we, we prepare ourselves to, to celebrate and to remember this Easter. I just want to remind us about those three things. just want to go back just in case um, God has said something to you as we've, as we've gone over each one of them. Um, so Jesus, is, he's coming back as a king. And uh, one of the things we saw there is that the way Jesus brings about what he does can be, can be very different to what we expect. It was very, very different to what those people who were waving palm branches had expected but what he was actually achieving was far, far greater than what we could ever expect. God could be doing something in our life that is far, far greater than we could even expect, even though it looks very different to what we would think would be um, the way he should do things. Next thing, he's making a new temple. Destroying temples and making new temples. We are the temple of the living God. 
and uh, we asked about whether there might be tables that he might want to flip over in our lives. Not out of anger but out of, out of a longing for the potential of, what, um, of who we can be and, uh, and, and the relationship that he wants us to have with him. Remember that he will wipe away every tear. Maybe in a time of tears of suffering at the moment, maybe it's tears of joy but we're, we're moving to work together as a people towards him wiping away every tear of suffering. It's good news. It's uh, amazing, isn't it, the way scripture just kind of hyperlinks um, right throughout and, and, and forms a, a, a really complete um, story that is captivating. Jesus is, Jesus is captivating in... Um, in the revelation that we have in, in these Gospels. So I'm going to uh, just want to give us an opportunity that if anyone would like prayer for any of those things, um, I'd love to stand with you in prayer as well. I'll, uh, I'll just sit down the front here for a bit as Esther and the team comes up to lead us and uh, feel free to come down uh, now or, uh, or, or after the service and I'd love to pray through anything with you that God might have been raising in your hearts. So... Father, we are, we are so thankful for Jesus. Lord, we think of those crowds of people that, sh- that shouted, Hosanna, save us. And Lord, we, we are so thankful that you have saved us. We, we thank you that we can say, Lord, save us. And you have, you have done that. So, Father, we, we thank you for everything that has been achieved. Jesus, I, we, we want to say that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are King in this place. And, Lord, we thank you that you have made us a new temple, a living temple, with you as the cornerstone. And, Lord, if there's any, any tables of, of, of things that aren't in alignment with you that need to be overturned for our good, Lord, I pray that you would identify them and that, that we, would, we would freely offer them over to you and say, Jesus, would you, would you take these away? Would you turn them over so that I can have free access to you? And Lord, we, we, we are just so grateful for the trajectory that we have, that one day you're going to come back and you're going to wipe away every tear, that that gives us hope and that gives us perseverance in the midst of trial. So Lord, would you, would you come and would you, would you minister to those who are in the midst of trial? Would you remind them of the great future that awaits us? We thank you that you are with us and that you're present with us right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.